0: When I just started with Tariq, a kind of dating, and then he would call me every day a few times. And I thought, what is he doing? Is he checking on me? Really? I started (laughs) to feel paranoid. And then I realized living here longer is that that's what Palestinians do. They just call each other. Where are you? What are you doing? Welcome to the podcast Stories from Palestine. My name is Crystal, and I invite you to join me every week for interesting, inspiring, and unexpected stories from Palestine. Seven years ago, I moved from the Netherlands to Palestine to be with my Palestinian husband. We live with our two children in Beit Safafa, a town between Jerusalem and Bethlehem. We run a cafe and a bar in Bethlehem, And before the pandemic, I used to take tourists on alternative tours to learn about the reality of life for Palestinians in the West Bank. As the world is in lockdown due to the pandemic and we cannot receive any tourists at the moment, I decided to share stories from Palestine as a virtual tour. And maybe one day when the world opens up again, you will be inspired to come and discover the beauty of Palestine yourself. I created the website storiesfrompalestine.info and the Facebook page Stories from Palestine, where you can find links, photos, and background information. And now get ready for a new episode of Stories from Palestine. The episodes of this podcast are sometimes about history, about cultural heritage, sometimes there are monologues, sometimes there are interviews. But I also like to talk about the traditions, about the local culture, and about my personal experiences here. And in today's episode, I talk to my friend Najwan, who is a Palestinian living in Holland. So I live here in her country, and she lives in mine. And we like to babble about our experiences and about all the cultural differences. This was our first experience recording in a long-distance call, but we had so much fun doing it. Nejwan, how is the weather in my country? It's very cold now.
1: At this moment, I have to wear. I'm wearing a sweater.
0: Ah, oh, but I heard from my parents that it was like a nice September month, like a warm month. It up. is.
1: Yeah, I mean, during the day, it was very nice. It was sunny. But for me, it was a little bit cold. Uh, for my standards, it's it's still a little bit... Like, it's not summer
0: anymore, you know? At least you cool down. We've been having a heat wave for three, four weeks. And right now, it's not so hot like during the day, but it's humid. And you just don't... You feel like, ah, oh, there's no this breeze in the night. I wish I was in Holland. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know, not only for this reason. Huh? <laughs>
0: ah. Oh God, I miss it. Like because of the of the pandemic and I haven't been to the Netherlands since December. And usually when I go in the summer, it's really two months of relief of green and water and enjoying the cooler weather. And now we, n- we never had any break. Like how do you, you never, you didn't make it to Palestine. No, uh, last time it was uh, last
1: year in June. So it's been a year and a couple of months now. Yeah, it's also, it's very difficult for me. I
0: just miss being with
1: my family.
0: Hey. Najwan, can you tell uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself, who you are, where you're from, and how did you end up in my country? <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> my name is Nashwan Dadle, and I am from Palestine. And I have been living in the Netherlands uh, more than five years now. And I end up living here because my husband is Dutch. Uh, I'm a social worker and I also have a master's degree in conflict resolution. I studied and lived in the US uh, for a couple of years. I'm working on organizing dialogue groups for international parents uh, here in the Netherlands.
0: What, what is something that comes up in your talk regularly about living in the Netherlands?
1: Yeah, we focus mainly about having a child in the Netherlands, not in general as a person just living in the Netherlands, more from a, from the mothering experience, raising a child with more than one language and how the healthcare system here is quite different from most other countries. Ideas about how to put the baby to sleep, breastfeeding and all these different issues
0: can you give an example of personal example of your your daughter's name is Ferial she's almost yeah. 2 and uh, yeah. what, what do you feel is different about raising her in the Netherlands than if you had been in Palestine with your own family? If I take like an easy example, if we go back to the weather issue, uh,
1: when I take her, for example, to the playground, uh, she's mostly, mainly the only child who who is kind of like overdressed and all the other children are with their t-shirts and shorts. And uh, so that's kind of always funny and for me to see.
0: I have the exact opposite, is that when it was summer and I put just like one onesie or one shirt on my kids, And everybody would be like, Haram, it's cold, you should wear something more. And I'm like, now look outside, it's super hot here.
1: (laughs) It is, yeah, it it is very different. It was for us like this, between me and my husband, that when she was still a baby, she was born in the beginning of the... And we uh, were recommended to keep the window open. But I felt like, no, that's very cold. We have to close the window. It's too cold for her. So it was a
0: constant (laughs) argument also. So it's kind of funny that way. the weather in general a big issue for you, the weather in uh, the Netherlands? yeah it has a big impact on my daily life i
1: would say that for example i wouldn't leave the house without checking the weather app because i learned that if it's sunny outside it doesn't you cannot trust the weather because in 10 minutes there would be a storm uh, like rains pouring like cats and dogs so <laughs> I learned I have to be prepared and beside that what the difficulty is that the winter is so long and you can deal with the temperature but the
0: the fact that it's long and dark is very difficult for me yeah that's true but you what you have in the Netherlands is that the summers are really long where it gets really yeah, early this is... daylight and then until almost 10, 30, 11 in June, you have the daylight. Here, it's always almost the same like it gets light between 6 and 7 and it gets dark between 7 and 8 all year long there's just a <laughs> little shit in it though i always say that for
1: me the summer here it's like really like heaven my uh, mood immediately changes towards the end of march because you start seeing the all the flowers blooming and you can go outside and be more out uh in general. go on your and bike you- Yes. Oh, yeah. And especially the fact what you said, that the day is very long, that you in one day you can have two days that you can go to work and like have a working day and afterwards another half a day of just going out and enjoying because you still have light until 11.
0: How do you like biking? Did you do biking before when you were in Palestine?
1: Yeah, sure. I grew up with yeah i always kind of had a bike and uh, i learned from an early age to bike Uh, but of course you know in palestine it's not very common maybe nowadays it's more than uh, before but here it it's kind of a must and some places if you get if you want to get there, the bus will take much longer than taking the bike. And sometimes the bus doesn't even get most places. So you need the bike and I love it. But I had to learn. I mean, I, I knew how to bike, but uh, at that time we were living in Utrecht. And, you know, Utrecht is, kind of, I think, one of the biggest bike cities in the world. And um, for me... You know, it's funny, you you only think, okay, when you want to ride a bike, you just need to know how to do it technically. But no, like in the Netherlands, there are kind of rules that you need to follow because otherwise you're like, yeah, you easily can get into an accident. And I saw a couple of them in front of me. And what's really funny is that there is a rush hour in the bike lane. Mm, Yeah, that's true. (laughs) So I, in the first couple of months, I really was avoiding the
0: rush hour because it was so scary for me. It was so yeah. busy. Crazy. Yeah. But now you feel more, more confident on the bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel much more confident. Did you confident. take Furio on the bike? Yes. And that
1: was also a process, of course, um, because again as an international mother or like a non-Dutch mother I didn't feel comfortable enough to have her in a bike without a helmet oh yeah, here, yeah, yeah it's not really common you know no My husband takes her on the bike and he never puts on helmet for her uh but this is also something I needed to get used to I was a little bit scared at the beginning but uh, now it's yeah it's it, it goes more smoothly.
0: Yeah, I guess that when you, live in a, you go and live in another country, you have to get used to so many different things and different ways of how people do stuff. But when I moved here,
1: of course, people are extremely friendly. But at the same time, I also learned they cannot easily be your friend. They're friendly, but they're not open to be friends. They have their own friends already. They have their network and other people who didn't go to high school with them or study with them. It's very difficult to get into the circle. That's my experience. I don't know how you experienced that in in Palestine or how was it for you as
0: a Dutch living here in the Netherlands? It's a huge contradiction or contrast, maybe. When you come as a foreigner and you uh, visit Palestine, the very first thing that you realize is the hospitality of people, the openness. You just walk in the street and you get 20 invitations to come and drink tea or to come and drink coffee. And people are genuinely interested. They also really want to tell their story. And also, when you are a foreigner in Palestine, I feel that. Once you made connection with someone, they expect you to keep in touch, to see you the next day, to see you the next week. And what I realized when I was back in the Netherlands, I could see that with the refugees, for example. They came to the Netherlands. They start to talk to somebody. For example, there is an activity and they come to the activity and they meet people on a dinner or something in the neighborhood. They make friends, they think. And then they start calling them to make a new appointment the next day or two days later. And the Dutch person is like, uh, what does he want from me? You know, we just talked yesterday or the day before. Like, maybe yeah. if you call in a week or two weeks, three weeks later. So I realized that here it is more spontaneous. I, I mean, when I say spontaneous, really, this is one of the reasons why my husband doesn't want to move to the Netherlands. Is He always says, it's not a spontaneous country. Everything is organized. In Palestine, no. Nobody has an agenda. Like, literally, I don't know any Palestinian. Maybe in their work, they would have an agenda for meetings and appointments. But in their private life, absolutely not. And people would just call, you know, shoo, Weynak, Choubitsawi, where are you? What are you doing? <laughs> and then they will just, yeah. go with the flow. You wake up in the morning and you don't know what your day will look like, but you are sure it will be full of events. And when Tade came to the Netherlands and he saw my mom's calendar for the whole month, he looked at it and he was like, that's not fun. She already knows for the whole month what she's going to do.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. And this is something I'm struggling with. I always had an agenda, also before moving to the Netherlands, but not for social events you know agenda is only for work if i tell you now look at my agenda uh, it's already booked for like the next three uh four weeks every weekend there is something you know and it gives me a feeling of like wow it's i'm already so full busy it's there's no room for just calling but also, people, no one calls you just to chit-chat, for example.
0: Where are you? What are you doing? What Exactly what you just said. I mean, in the Netherlands, you could end up feeling really lonely. Here, no. And then also here, everybody lives with the family. You know, we live with my family-in-law. They live upstairs. We live downstairs. Uh, my brother-in-law still lives uh, in the house. My sister-in-law doesn't live far away. So every Friday, every Friday they come here, all the family, and we spend together, we make a big lunch. And there is a saying in Arabic, you have to help me about that. Something like if you stay with people for more than 40 days, you become like them. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something so,
0: yeah. along these lines, although yeah. You've been there for yeah. more than, for more than that, and I've been here for more than that. So at some point Yeah, you really start to take some of the the habits. And that's also good. I can see it now with my children. They are growing up here. They are Palestinian kids. They don't look like Palestinian kids because they are so blonde. And this is also very funny and confusing when they start to speak Arabic and people are really surprised because they don't expect that. But they are already taking a lot of the habits here. Like if I raised my kids in the Netherlands, I know they will sit on the table until the dinner is ready. They have to finish their plate and everything will be quiet and calm. Here, kids run around while food is on the table. I see literally moms going with a spoon of food behind the children to just get a few spoons in their mouth. People here, when they finish the food, they leave the table and then they go sit outside. They drink tea. They drink coffee. In a way, in the Netherlands, maybe it's more rigid. It's like you have to sit on the table. This is the way we do it. When we go to the Netherlands, I'm oh, I always feel a little bit kind of shame, you know? Like they run around, they are loud, they are louder than other kids. Or they will. We went to the municipality, and they will just climb on the desk. Of the clerk at the municipality, I'm like, no, no, guys, you can't do that here. We can- in Palestine, <laughs> they think that's cute, but here they don't appreciate it. Yeah.
1: For example, with my with with my daughter, I know that if if we go to Palestine, she will be fed like. 24 hours everyone would be offering her food like non-stop and for that reason I'm kind of happy that we are here There, I can keep a structure because otherwise it will be like a, a huge mess.
0: Yeah Palestinians show their love <laughs> to children through sweets and chocolate and if you tell them no she had enough they tell you haram <laughs> that's bad. What, a, exactly. <laughs> what kind of bad mother are you? Are you just telling no to your children for something nice and sweet? Because, you know, there's a huge difference in food tradition in the Netherlands or in Palestine. Oh, I miss that one
1: from my mom's, how she makes it. I I make it sometimes, but it's like, no, no. But I love most of the dishes, of course. Um, And I try also to cook more Palestinian-oriented dishes, Uh, not the complicated ones, of course. (laughs) I don't have time for it. But here in the Netherlands, I noticed that there's a big culture of sandwiches. Like, sandwiches are very popular here. That for lunch, you would have a sandwich and it's a big thing. But for us, you know, in Palestine, like, lunch is is the main meal and it has to be a warm meal. And dinner, most of the time, you skip it in Palestine. Uh, But here, no. Dinner is the main uh, meal. The fact that also in Palestine, like, you cook for like 10 extra people Uh, or my mom would always cook more because you never know who will end up coming and joining you and you can always keep it for the day after and here it doesn't exist like you cook a meal per meal and leftovers it doesn't exist and it's kind of difficult for me when I go to if I'm invited for dinner and I see that like the food was calculated, I don't feel comfortable to... I always feel like, oh, I don't want to take too much. Be- oh, yeah. Not because they're cooking too little. It's just because I'm used to so many different dishes on the table. So I can just eat whatever I want. And I'm sure that everyone will have enough. Here also, everyone
0: will have enough. But just the just fact enough. that I'm used to <laughs> that my eye is used to it. Yeah. You know? I remember my mom used to really ask if we had friends playing, or who is staying for dinner? Uh, because she wanted to make sure she had the right amount of potatoes. And she will count. Every person has three or four <laughs> potatoes or something. And you are right. It's true. She will cook exactly the amount that we think we need. And if, uh, if there was somebody else will come by, we will not have enough. And that never <laughs> happens here in Palestine. I'll tell you something. Last week, we've had workers, people who, who were coming to fix and renovate our house. Every day, my mother in law made radda, radda, which is the lunch, right? She made yeah. radda yeah. for everybody the painter, the carpenter, all the people. Can you imagine in the Netherlands that they are coming to fix your house and they're working and you feed them every day <laughs> a warm meal? No. <laughs> I'm- I think if you will offer them food, they will look at you like,
1: huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes I offer them coffee or, or a cup of water and they like are kind of like surprised. Also, sometimes my husband is kind of looking at me. No, they don't need this. They kind of cover it. They arrange it themselves, you know?
0: Yeah. You know, I also remember very vividly in the beginning when I lived here, if I visited people and we had at first, you get a huge lunch. Then they serve you coffee, and then tea, and then fruits, and sweets, and there's... No, coffee at the end. Co- coffee in the end, I at think. The end, I think we used to get two times. Coffee after the food, and then mm. tea, and then mm. another coffee. Yeah, yeah I, I learned somehow that if you get your second cup of coffee, it means that, okay, now you can leave. But when you want <laughs> to leave, they will tell you, Pedri, which means... That's early. <laughs> and in the beginning, I thought like, oh my God, I'm leaving too early. I should stay longer. And I felt a bit <laughs> shame or something until I realized years later that Bedri, just a way of saying that, you know, you're always welcome. Don't leave so early. But it doesn't mean something negative. It's so you negative. have to stay.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the things that I
1: learned about visiting people is that uh, when you go to visit a- anyone, it's very impolite to stay with your jacket on, that you have to take your jacket off as soon as you come in. Yeah. And you know, in Palestine, we just stay with our jackets on because usually the, the houses are not that warm in the winter. So you just want to stay cozy with your jacket. But here it's no, it kind of gives them a feeling that you're not comfortable, that you're about to leave. So I learned to take off my jacket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and also to get used to the fact that when I when I want to leave, no one will tell me Badri. No. <laughs> and it's kind of like every time it's weird to me. Yeah. Uh, so say I'm gonna leave. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh well thuis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of waiting for this
0: remark of, no, maybe you can stay longer. No, never come. There was a Palestinian guy who was just new in the Netherlands since a few months, I think. And somebody asked him if he wanted to drink something. And he said no. And then he never got anything to drink. Because when you say no to a Dutch person, it means no. But in Palestine, (laughs) when they ask you, do you want something? Then you say no in the beginning, a kind of politeness. And then at some point, they will keep pushing you. Come on, no, have something to drink. What do you want to drink? And then the second, third time, you'll say, like, okay, I'll have something. So this guy in the beginning didn't know that. So he never (laughs) got anything to drink.
1: (laughs) If you say no, no one is going to insist on you on anything, you know. No No. is no.
0: Exactly. There is no insisting (laughs) like here. Exactly. Yeah, the same with in the end of the, the meal that you feel that you finished already two plates and they'll just put another piece of chicken on your plate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more. one. <laughs> yeah. uh. you learned Dutch very quickly. I mean, we're speaking English now because we have people listening to our podcast who don't know Dutch or Arabic. I have to say and give you this compliment because I've been coming and going to Palestine since 12 years, living here since seven years. And I managed to make a small conversation and understand what people say. But I never managed to get to the level that you are when you speak Dutch you use words like oh my god how did she know these words so you are really good but what do you think about the Dutch language what's your experience with it thank you for the positive
1: feedback about my language I'm always insecure about it of course but you helped me a lot with it also to get more confident because when you start learning a new language you want to have people giving you positive feedback and this helps a lot I mean, to my feeling, I'm still learning and I make a lot of mistakes still, but I got to a level where I don't mind anymore. I just go for it and I use the language that I know. And the thing is that I already spoke three languages when I start learning Dutch. And for me, I was never really motivated to learn the language uh, properly as the other languages that I learned. Um, So I always thought, no, I just want to learn it so I can manage, you know, Um, I don't want to be fluent. And this is, I think, influenced my learning process. Dutch language is... I think it's one of the most difficult languages. Of course, Arabic is also very uh, difficult. But for me, what's difficult is that it's very different from the other languages that I speak. Maybe it's similar to English in the the words. Uh, So with vocabulary, it's easier for me. But with the grammar, it's extremely difficult. It's very different. And the logic is non-logic. A lot of exceptions, a lot of verbs, which are exactly written the same, pronounced the same with different meanings. A lot of synonyms also, it's a very rich language that sometimes I feel like every Dutch person has his own language. Like you use a set of words that my husband wouldn't use. So that's kind of like challenging. Yes, that's what I noticed. It's very rich. It's very beautiful in that sense. But it's all. it also makes it more difficult. But it's funny that I also learned some uh, words which are similar in Dutch and oh, Arabic. Yeah. But with different meanings. Can you give language? an example? For example, the word zinnig. You know? <laughs> zinnig in Dutch means important. And in Arabic, it means, you know, the, this bad smell of an egg or of a chicken, cooked chicken. And... Yeah, for a lot of people, I think it's very cultural. This zinnig, I think it's only Arabic-oriented word.
0: In Dutch, yes. I would use zinnig for it's useful. Yeah, it's u- a useful thing. Oh, okay. And zinnig yeah. here, it's yeah. true. My husband sometimes says it to the kids about their behavior. That's zinnig. <laughs> <laughs> That's true also, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I found so beautiful That's about funny. the Arabic language is that you always wish each other kind of blessings. So in the morning when they say, Sabah al khair a morning of blessings, and then they answer, Sabah al-Noor, a morning of light. Or there is so many ways to say, for example, when you want to stop the bus in Palestine to get off, you, you tell the bus driver, Yatik al Avia to stop the bus, you tell the bus driver, may God give you health. That's beautiful. When, when I get out of the shower, yeah. my husband tells me Na'iman, and I have to answer him, or Alaik, not God may give you the same. <laughs> I never really understood the exact translation for Na'iman, but it's also some sort of blessing for being clean and being in a, a good shape. Or after cutting your hair, also they say it, or shaving a beard. And we don't have... Like, I remember coming to Holland after being living here for a longer time, getting out of the shower, waiting for somebody to tell me Naiman and nobody said anything. <laughs> yeah. But I, like, with the word jatekelafie,
1: it's kind of like we say it so often to people you see, in, you see in the street working or in the supermarket or... And here, sometimes I almost want to say it, you know, because I'm so used to it. Especially if I see someone who looks like more coming from our region but and i stopped myself because like okay but i learned in dutch you say works Berksa, Berksa. which is oh, kind yeah. of similar
0: yeah very if you if somebody goes so to I work you that. would say that like yeah i have a good day of work Berksa. yeah i forgot about that you see <laughs> you can also forget <laughs> your own language i have a last question before uh, we call it a day which is actually about the current situation with the pandemic. I just was thinking about that, like the different approaches of our governments or of our authorities towards it, because you still have your parents here and you hear from them how the things are going and back in Holland. What, what can you say about that? Oh yeah, it's, it's a huge difference. I
1: mean, every time I talk to my mom and I tell her, yeah, I just got back from the city center, I just got back from the supermarket and she said, what? You can just go easily. Yeah, and here everything is open. It's very rare to see anyone wearing a mask. I mean, in the buses and in the trains, you are obliged uh, to do it, but in the street, supermarket, no, no one. i think maybe because people here are less physical in the sense of hugging and kissing i think that's the thing i main was going to say i maybe. was exactly thinking about that is that dutch <laughs>
0: people in general are already more distant while palestinians they have this tendency to be closer together, to kiss and hug more. And here, if we have a wedding, we have incredible amount of people—five, six, seven hundred. Pe- my in my wedding, we had seven hundred people. So I, I yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I guess my family law is very popular. Or they all wanted to see the foreigner, Ajnabiya <laughs> bride. <laughs> I don't know. They all showed up. The whole village. Exactly. But here, all the weddings and everything. And I think, and that's maybe was crazy here, is that the infrastructure that the Israeli government already put in place in the West Bank, eh, we live so close to the West Bank, basically on the border area, So all the checkpoints that were already there and the wall that is already there to control the freedom of movement of Palestinians was now used in the pandemic time and is still being used to stop the the movement of people. So I found it very ironic Mm -hmm. that especially in the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't have many cases at all because everything, Mm and within a daytime, the whole place, the whole West Bank was closed down. Nobody in, nobody out. Uh, but now, after they opened up uh, the things, it was like a quick explosion because we- everybody was waiting. They had wanted to do to do their wedding, so they had to postpone it. And they all did everything in June, weddings, and hu- in July we started. So now we are back uh, from tomorrow evening. We will be back in uh, a lockdown until the 12th of October. So, yeah, we will see how that uh, will play out. Yes. It's really nice talking to you. I really enjoyed <laughs> having a conversation with you about our uh, experiences in uh, each other's countries, and really thank you so much for uh, spending some time. I also had so much fun talking to you, Crystal. <laughs> And because we know that you can only really understand another country by its language, every episode we end with teaching you something in Arabic. And Louisa, my daughter, is going to help me because her Arabic is much better than mine. Louisa, what is that that you're drinking? Water. Oh, water. How do you say water in Arabic? May. And if you want to drink, for example, milk, what is milk in Arabic? halib And uh, if you want a cup of tea? and if you want a cup of coffee and if you want to drink juice juice uh and if you want to drink a beer ah uh, <laughs> no beer for you yet Habibti. tea may may halib Shay. Kahwa. Kahwa. Asir. Asir. Birra. Birra. Shukran Hadi. Shukran Louisa. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Next time, another word in Arabic. have been listening to stories from palestine which is a podcast focusing on history cultural heritage and stories from palestine you can subscribe to stories from palestine on spotify apple podcasts google podcasts or you can search on the buzzsprout website stories from palestine and there you find all the other podcast platforms that this podcast is listed on On my website, storiesfrompalestine.info, you find the links to my social media accounts and extra information, links and photos that I upload for each episode. If you enjoy listening to this podcast then maybe you would feel like you'd buy me a coffee or a sandwich falafel. I mean, any kind of support really helps me in continuing making new episodes. And there is a very easy way to do it because I now have a Ko-fi account. You can open your browser and just type ko-fi.com slash storiesfrompalestine. And on my Ko-fi page, you will find lots of extras, Uh, Lots of nice extra information. You can chip in there with a couple of bugs and then you become part of my Palestine podcast community. I look forward to you joining again next week for another episode of Stories from Palestine.